The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Welcome to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. This program is designed to discuss trends in real estate investing, promote financial literacy, and learn how to create financial freedom for your life. Get the hottest tips from experts in real estate investing and more. Now, here's your host, Lori Wetzel. Greetings, everyone, and welcome to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. I am so excited once again to be with my listening audience, both in the U.S. of A. and across the world. And I'm sharing with everyone what it's like to be a successful real estate investor in an entrepreneur. Now, remember, the path to entrepreneurship is clear. There are two things I want you to remember if you don't remember anything else today. Own a small business and invest in real estate. That's critical, especially for today's topic. We're covering tax and legal strategies for real estate investors. But before then, uh, I wanted to share with you what the format of the show will be. We're going to cover what's hot in the real estate market today in different geographical locations. Today, we're covering, covering Chicago in the surrounding suburbs. I have a very good friend of mine by the name of Ed Kirsch will be on discussing the retail market and also commercial real estate. We also have guest investors, authors, and celebrities, and I cover a piece on financial literacy so you can begin to learn the glossary, the language that real estate investors use. And then if I have time at the end, I will do Q&A from our listening audience. So that's the format, and you may have never listened to me before, so you might be asking the question, Why do you want to listen to Lori Wetzel? Well, I will tell you why. I am a light bringer, a magic maker, a world shifter, and a game changer. I will challenge you, break you open, uplift and expand you, and I won't let you play small with your life. That's our goal with listening today. Thanks for joining us with the show. Let me introduce you to my first guest, Ed Kirsch. He has been creating partnerships, managing property, purchasing, selling, and educating people about real estate since 1977. Ed is the CEO of Kirsch Property Management and Sales. And he has managed family and multifamily residences for over 40 years in the Aurora, Illinois area. Ed loves real estate. Yes, he does. Uh, Finding homes, researching market stats, negotiating contracts, helping his clients find a home that meets their expectations is definitely what Ed is passionate about. He's a very good friend of mine. Ed, thank you for being on the show today. Thanks for having me. 
All right. Welcome. So what's hot in the Aurora area in the retail market? And I know that you specialize with commercial property. So please share with us. Tell us what's going on. Well, one of the things you've got, you've got the prices are still low and interest rates are lower than they've been in 40 years. So the, uh, the chance to make a deal and have a cash flow is really, really good right now. And you shouldn't buy, be buying anything right now that does not cash flow. Uh, another, another possibility you have, a lot of people are selling their homes that are finally break even. So you have an opportunity right now. We're finding just a lot of sellers wanting to get rid of the property, and they'll let you assume their mortgage, and they have no equity. So you're getting for little or no money down. And they cash flow. As an investor, you can't ask for a better deal. So rates are down. The prices are still down. They have rebounded a little since 2007. So it's just a fantastic thing. Houses are moving. If you have to sell a house, houses are finally moving. In a lot of the neighborhoods that they weren't moving, they're starting to move again. So it's, the market is looking very, very encouraging right now. Okay, so would you classify your area then as a seller's market or a buyer's market? I think right now you're probably in between, ah. which is a really good place to be. You know, the buyers are strong. They're out there. Things are selling, but I don't think they're going crazy yet and, and taking the prices way up. People are still cautious of the price, so what they're buying has to make sense. So um, I, I, I just think, you know, people might say it's a buyer's market. They may say it's, a, you know, it's definitely not a seller's market yet because the prices haven't come up. But they are, they are able to sell, which is something they haven't been able to do in the last eight, nine years. So then let's talk a little bit about the buyers that you deal with. And, and now I'm, I'm looking at this from a retail perspective versus from a real estate investor's perspective. Okay. If you have traditional home buyers, how easy is it now for them to qualify for a mortgage? Has that uh, become any easier or are they still kind of jumping through hoops in order to qualify? They're still jumping through hoops. Um, they want all the T's crossed, all the dots, the I's dotted. You know, they, they want the appraisals to come in what they are. And with the new appraisal laws, you can't push prices like you used to be able to. So it's like, you know, I've had some deals that I've sold, and then we've had to lower the price because it just didn't make the appraisal. Ah. So it's, it's still... You're still jumping through hoops, not as bad. A lot of people do qualify, and a lot of times right now with the interest rates where they are, people can buy with less money down than renting an apartment or a house and less money per month. Just pure cash out of their pocket is less. And then you get the appreciation, you get the tax deductions. So just on a retail market, it's a great, great time to buy. 
Okay, so still jumping through a few hoops, but yet you have the ability to purchase with less money down is what I hear you saying for your traditional home buyers that are looking uh, in your area. Now, you're based out of Aurora, Illinois. Yes. So typically, what are home buyers, retail home buyers purchasing in, in Aurora? Are they doing three, one and a half, three twos? What's the square footage? Give me an idea of what goes very quickly. Aurora is a very unique town. We've got houses anywhere from 50000 to a million dollars. That is yeah. unique. Yeah, so the lower stuff definitely moves very quickly. Your $300,000, range is actually starting to move right now. Mm-hmm. So that was, that was an area that was not moving at all. So that area is now moving. Which is good. Uh, the the million dollar houses, I, I I don't do a lot of them. I don't list a lot of them because I do a more investment property. I don't know what their market time is, but I would tend to think that it's, you know I know people in our community are buying them, rehabbing them, selling them, and they are selling them. So you know I think even the higher price houses are selling, but you just have to have a price right. Okay, and then traditionally, are they three bedrooms, four bedrooms, how many baths? What's the square footage? A lot depends the price range you're in. Mm-hmm. You get to the um, $300,000 range, you're probably going to be looking at four-bedroom homes, two, three, four, or five bathrooms. You get, you know, your fifty, sixty, seventy thousand dollars $70,000 house, it might be a two-bedroom or one bath. You know, you get into your hundred. The two hundred thousand dollar range, you're probably you know three bedrooms with maybe two baths. It all depends where they're located. It's we have such a wide variety. It just depends what price range you want to be in and what what you're going to get. Okay, you okay. can get some awesome deals though. You start getting up to above the two hundred thousand dollar range, and you're getting some heck of houses. You know the big basements, three four bedroom, two plus baths, etc. All right. Well, it it does sound like quite the variety. All right. Now let's switch. Let's switch for a moment. Tell me about the investors. So you have investors that are coming in and snapping up properties as well. Are they typically purchasing the $50,000 homes then is what you're saying? Then they're rehabbing them. They're adding value to them and selling them at a profit. Yes. Hmm. Okay. And I personally represent a lot of people that do buy and hold. So we buy a lot and just hold for future. You know, we cash flow it, do it for the tax deductions, and do it for, like, selling it 10 years down the road. So we do a lot of that. And right now, this is an excellent market for that. The, the only challenge <clears throat> that you've got with investing is if you have to use the bank's money and you're buying the bigger buildings, like we're, um, I'm doing a 16-unit right now, and my buyer is gold. I mean, you're talking a doctor, you know, seven digits a year income. And the bank's going to finance it, but there's going to be tons and tons of loops to jump through in order to get the financing. So when it comes to commercial financing, it is still a tough road to get, depending on what bank you go to. You know, if you start paying a little higher rate, some of the banks will relax their qualifications. But instead of paying 4%, you might be paying 6% for interest rates, which is high in this market. 
Absolutely, yes. Hi. So let me just make sure I'm understanding you correctly. You have an A-credit buyer. Uh, as you mentioned, your buyer is gold. It's a 16-unit building, but and they're still having difficulty qualifying for a traditional mortgage for the for that commercial they, property. They qualify. There's no question whether they qualify or not. Mm-hmm. It's just how many times it's going to go to underwriting, and underwriting is going to come back and say, "I need this, I need that." And you go back to underwriting, underwriting again, and they come back again and they say, "I need this, I need that." And when you get this type of investor who's like, like, you know, makes a lot of money, they've got multiple, multiple investments. So now the banks want to see what the other investments are. Are they making money? Who the partners of the other investors are investments? So. They dig deeper than they've ever dug before. And it also drags out the process, I imagine. What type of time frame are you talking about in terms of The same investor started in September to refinance uh, like a $200,000 house that she had a $70,000 loan on. And it was a commercial loan, so it came due in five years. And I think it took her up to six months to refinance it. Wow. Okay. And there's, there's nothing wrong with the buyer. I mean, there's nothing wrong with the buyer. Right. It's just a lengthy process that they go through in order to qualify from a traditional standpoint. Right. That's why cash is still king. If you if you're got a cash buyer, they can give me a better deal because Absolutely. people don't want to go through the hassle of finding out whether it's gonna close or not. Cash is king. So we have about thirty seconds left, Ed. Yeah, are there any last words that you would like to share with our listeners with regards to real estate? I know right now there's just a lot of people that are break-even on their properties that they owe what they're worth. So right now is the time to talk to those people and see if they'll do like a uh, subject to on their property and take over their loans and get them out of the property, and it might be a fantastic deal for the investor. Awesome. Ed Kirch, thank you once again for joining Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. I really appreciate you, bud, for for being on the show. Take care. Thank you. All right. When we come back, we're going to introduce our next guest, Perrin Wetzel, and we will be discussing tax and legal strategies for real estate investors. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to learn real estate investing and don't know where to start? Aspiring to grow your small business? The Wetzel Group Inc. is a company designed to support entrepreneurs through convenient online real estate investing education. Beginners to experts can learn from our comprehensive strategies. Go to thewetzelgroup.com and enter the promo code TWG and you'll receive a complimentary online real estate workshop. Call 312-473-4300 now and join a nationwide community of real estate investors. Again, 312-473-4300 and begin your success today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This is Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. To reach Lori with questions or comments, please send an email to Lori at MeetLoriWetzel.com. Again, that's Lori at MeetLoriWetzel.com. Now, back to Keeping It Real. 
Welcome back, everyone, to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. And I'm so excited for my next guest because we're going to be talking about one of our favorite, favorite subjects, tax and legal strategies for real estate investors. And you might be scratching your head a bit thinking, really? Why would that be your favorite subject? Well, after this uh, radio show, you'll begin to understand why we get so excited having a conversation with other real estate investors about tax and legal strategies. So let me introduce to my next guest, his name is Perrin Wetzel IV, who is president of P.G. Wetzel & Associates, Inc. in Chicago. He is an accomplished, top-performing accounting professional and business owner with diversified experience in accounting, business management, tax audit review, compilation, and business valuation. So Mr. Wetzel prepares individual, partnership, and corporate tax returns with an emphasis on entrepreneurs and small to medium-sized businesses. He has a staff responsible for preparation of monthly, quarterly, and annual consolidated financial statements for nonprofit and for-profit organizations. Now, Perrin is also a Founder Advisory Board member for Renatus LLC, which is an education company for real estate investors. He's also soon to be a published author, along with other top investors in 2016. And I guess you imagine by now you notice the similarity in last names. So Perrin Wetzel also happens to be my business partner and husband. So we have an opportunity to strategize on a daily basis with regards to our business. So, Perrin, welcome aboard. Thank you, Loretta. (laughs) Thank you. All right. So today we're going to talk about tax and legal strategies. And the first thing I want to focus on, this might be new for a lot of people, so why is this important? Why is tax and legal strategies, why is this important for real estate investors? Well, before I get started, I want to also make sure that everybody understands that this conversation does not constitute an attorney or CPA client relationship, and it also is in your best interest to consult a competent legal and tax professional when we uh conducting actual transactions. So you also want to make sure that you have an attorney or a CPA when you're doing transactions. Now, to answer your question, the most important thing that we have is two things. One is to make sure that we protect your assets, making sure you're structured properly, and two, to make sure that you pay your fair share of taxes. And typically what we do is I uh, want to make sure that you follow all the guidelines with the Internal Revenue Service that you are entitled to all your deductions that you're entitled to. So uh, I'm curious, what's your fair share? Your fair share is the amount of money that you feel that you're obligated to pay to the government using all the legal strategies that they provide you with. Uh, the, the government provides you with, in a business, with over 400 different deductions, and that's one of the reasons why uh, most businesses pay a little less in taxes because of the fact that they are uh, using the deduction and the tax law to their advantage. When you use the tax law to your advantage, you're going to pay your fair share. 
All right. I, I love that answer. So let's talk a bit about entity structures because you'll have people who um, start their own business as an entrepreneur and they'll start up and they'll say, yep, I'm a sole proprietor. And there's nothing wrong with that, but maybe they are not aware of uh, their other entity structures that are available. So can you share a little bit about that? Yes, I can. Like you said, typically an individual starts off as a sole proprietor. There are also other different entities. For instance, you can become a C corporation, a S corporation, or a limited liability company. And each one of those structures are based upon what are you trying to accomplish with your on a legal standpoint as well as a tax standpoint. Um, typically, um, major corporations are um, C corporations because they have a number of investors, which means they have more than 100 investors, and they're trying to raise capital all over the country. Uh, one of the reasons why a small entrepreneur doesn't want to have a C corporation is the fact that they would have to pay taxes on the dividends as well as taxes on the profit, which we call double taxation. Then we have what they call a S corporation, which means that the Internal Revenue Service treats your corporation um, in a sense that you can take all the profits or losses on your personal tax return, thereby only paying taxes one time. And they have a form called a K-1 that you have that goes on your personal tax return uh, in order to make sure that you are properly uh, documenting your income or loss in your business. Then we have uh, the uh, uh, LLC. An LLC, typically, you want to have for passive income. Passive income is anything like rental income, royalties, or anything uh, in that nature that we call passive interest is considered passive income. And that way you're not subject to self-employment taxes. Um, if you have an LLC and you have ordinary income generated by that LLC, you're going to be paying self-employment taxes, which currently is 15.3%, and thereby increase your tax uh, liabilities. Uh, so another reason why you may want to have an LLC is that you're having a complex transaction. For instance, if you have multiple investors or you want to have investors having different shares in the, the business as far as losses and, losses and profits are concerned, based on not only their um, contribution, but on based upon their time that they put into the business. So it can become complicated, but if you have the proper professional helping you out, then it's not going to have any issues in regard to your uh, proper structure. Okay, so you've said a lot. Let me break this down a little bit, and I also want you to clear up a myth because uh, I have heard television commercials, and I'm sure other people have too, in terms of it's an advantage to incorporate in a particular state. Say, for example, uh, you want to incorporate in Nevada or you want to incorporate in Connecticut. So can you clear that myth up for me, please? Yes, for the most part. You only want to incorporate into the state in which you're doing business in. Uh, typically, um, if you incorporate, say, in, in Delaware and you're in Illinois and you're doing all your business in Illinois, you're still going to have to file a tax return in the state of Illinois as well as Delaware, and that's going to increase your cost basis. So you want to typically stay in the state that you're doing business in as opposed to going to a different state. Every state that you do business in, they're requiring you to do tax returns. And you may have to file additional paperwork. So it can be uh, much more complicated if you 
incorporated in a different state than you're actually doing business in. Oh, wow. So, so, so the commercials with, yeah, let's incorporate in Delaware then and we'll get you going. That really is no advantage to you unless you're doing business in that state. That's what you're saying, right? Yes. Wow. First is, oh. uh, all the athletes that play, you know, baseball, football, basketball, when they play in those different states, they all have to pay, file income taxes in the state in which they played in. So if you are going to, um, from California, you play in Illinois, you're going to file a California tax return as well as Illinois tax return. So kind of quickly, a lot of the uh, athletes and entertainers have very complex tax returns because of the fact that they're generating income in a lot of different states and thereby have to file taxes in whatever state they're doing business in. And the same applies to corporations as well as LLCs, S corporations as well. Okay. So from a real estate investor's perspective then, tell me the difference between if you have a buy and hold or rental properties where you're collecting um, or creating your passive income versus if you are doing uh, fixing and flipping or, or acquiring their property, adding value, and then reselling it for a profit. Uh, are those different entity structures then that you must hold depending upon the type of real estate investing strategy that you're using? Uh, yes, and I want to clear up one thing is that if you have a S corporation, a C corporation, or LLC, they all are, get the same legal protection. So there's no difference in the legal protection in any of those entities. The most important thing that you're dealing with with the those different type of entities is the tax structure. For instance, if you have ordinary income, or ordinary income, um, you want to use a S corporation because you don't have to pay self-employment taxes on ordinary income. So what's considered ordinary income? Ordinary income would be if you were selling, uh, uh, buying and selling houses on, on, for a business. That's what we call fix and flip. Or you were wholesaling. That would be considered ordinary income. Or you, since you had a different type of business where you were selling uh, uh, candy or anything that you're selling that's considered ordinary income, and you want to have that structure so that's either in a S corporation or a C corporation. Now, if you want to have passive income, passive income, as we mentioned earlier, is considered rents, royalties, interest, those type of things you want to have in a LLC. With LLC, you're not going to be paying that self-employment tax, which is 15.3%. And that's one of the biggest advantages of making sure that you have your entity structured properly in regards to taxes, because the protection on a legal basis is there for Every entity is the same. It's the tax basis that you want to be looking at when you're deciding what do you want to do as far as the right entity is concerned. Wow. Thank you for clearing that up because I imagine most people aren't looking at it from different angles. They're only thinking about the legal protection, but you're saying that it's not also, it's not only the legal protection and not having those properties in your personal name per se, but you also got to look at the tax implications as well. And then depending upon whether or not you have ordinary income, which you are recommending as sub S corporation, uh, versus passive income like rent and royalties, then it would be the LLC. So you have to look at it not only from a legal perspective, but also the tax implications as well. Yes, that is correct. You definitely want to look at it from those aspects. 
Awesome. All right. This is why this is our favorite subject. Now, listen, we're getting ready to go to break. So when we come back, please talk about the various tax deductions as real estate investors and business owners. I think uh, it might be eye-opening for some people to realize exactly what can be written off being a business owner and a professional real estate investor. So we'll be right back with Mr. Pierre Wetzel on Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. Stay tuned. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to learn real estate investing and don't know where to start? Aspiring to grow your small business? The Wetzel Group Inc. is a company designed to support entrepreneurs through convenient online real estate investing education. Beginners to experts can learn from our comprehensive strategies. Go to thewetzelgroup.com and enter the promo code TWG and you'll receive a complimentary online real estate workshop. Call 312-473-4300 now and join a nationwide community of real estate investors. Again, 312-473-4300 and begin your success today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. This is Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. To reach Lori with questions or comments, please send an email to Lori at MeetLoriWetzel.com. Again, that's Lori at MeetLoriWetzel.com. Now, back to Keeping It Real. Welcome back, everyone, to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel with my guest, Perrin Wetzel. And we are discussing our favorite subject today, tax and legal strategies for real estate investors. So now let's cover what's hot in terms of write-offs. You are an entrepreneur. You're a small business owner. You're a professional real estate investor. What, What can be written off? I mean... Is there just a few things, one or two things, parent, or would you say there are a lot more that you can write off versus being just a W-2 employee? Uh, as a W-2 employee, typically you have anywhere between 10 and 17 deductions that you're allowed to deduct in your taxes, whereas at a small business, you're allowed to deduct over 400 different types of deductions. And then depending on what type of business you're in, determine what type of deductions you can deduct. So any Typically, anything that's associated with your business is, can be considered a tax deduction. For instance, uh, one of the biggest uh, areas where people miss a lot of deductions is the mileage. Okay, right now in 2016, the IRS allows you to deduct 54 cents a mile for business use um, in regard to deduction. Now, if you drive 10,000 um, miles a year for business, that translates into a deduction of $5,400 in deduction. So what we do is we compare what your actual mileage, I mean, actual cost were for the driver vehicle and compare that to the mileage. And whichever one comes out to be the best is what we're going to do. And typically it doesn't cost a person $0.54 cent a mile in order to uh, drive a vehicle, only if it's a, if they, if a, if it's a uh, beat-up car and there's a lot of maintenance involved. Um, sometimes you can also get a better deduction if you have a lot of these SUVs that are 
over 6,000 pounds. The credit, uh, they were getting credit, tax credit for those. Tax credits are different than deductions in the sense that tax credits come against the tax liability where deductions go against the amount of income that you have and how much you're going to pay in taxes. Another area where individuals are lacking as far as the number of um, deductions they're getting is meals. Meals, you can deduct 50% of the cost of meals. Now, as long as you're discussing your business with an individual, or sometimes even when you eat alone, you can deduct 50% of that meal. The requirement is that on the receipt, you need to make sure you put who you were talking to, what was about, and a date. And these are the receipts that you want to keep in in your possession because a lot of times um, receipts have a tendency to fade. So these, you may, if you can scan them, they can be scanned, and they'll allow you to use a scanner. Also, if you use QuickBooks, they'll allow you to use those as your supporting documentation. So it's very important that you put that information down, who you talk to, what you talked about, and a date, so that you can deduct that deduction. Then there's also... Hold on. Hold on. You all have a wealth of information, but let me just backtrack a little bit. So you talked about mileage, and then you talked about meals. So um, when, let's say, for example, you have a professional to prepare your tax return and you submit it and everything is fine. And then maybe two years down the road, let's say you get a notice from the IRS that you're going to be audited. So my question with regards to the receipts are there, is it certain software, because uh, you, uh, you have software, you have uh, all different types of apps, for example, that will track your mileage. Um, I don't know if you have anything in terms of tracking meals, but my question is, will the IRS accept data from the different apps and the different software? Are you aware of, of, of whether or not they will? Yes, they will accept um, information off your apps. Um, in regards to uh, the neat receipts, you can use neat receipts, which is much, one of the most popular ones, where you scan your, your receipt in and keep it into a PDF file. And they will accept that as your supporting documentation. We always recommend that you keep your receipts, especially for meals, for at least five years. Because the Internal Revenue Service can audit you up to three years. But a lot of people want to make sure that they keep them uh, just in case. So you definitely want to make sure that you use one of those programs. There are also some free apps that you have with the App Store or the Google Play Store. Go there and look for different apps, and you can keep track. Now, the mileage, we have apps for that also. One of the ones that uh, I recommend is uh, Miles IQ. Uh, it's an automatic uh, mile calculator. Every time you get into your vehicle, it will automatically start tracking from your one place to the other and it's real easy in order to operate. Um, some people may be familiar with other ones or they like other ones better, but that's the one that I like because it's easy for you to keep track of your miles for the business as well as your personal. All right. And are these free apps or is there a cost? Uh, typically they cost, um, if I'm not mistaken, my miles IQ costs somewhere around 9 or $10 in order to have that one, and they may charge you a monthly fee because of the fact that it's tracking your mileage on a monthly basis. Then I know need receipts, they charge you up front for the, the hardware and the software. And if you want to get an advanced program where you can attach it to your phone or other aspects, then that's when they um, 
charge you a monthly fee for that. Okay. Now, here's something else that I heard so you can confirm whether or not this is accurate or not. Um, someone shared with me is that they really, they always like to get an oil change for their car that they travel in for business uh, on uh, January 2nd, because obviously the first in the U.S., it's a holiday. But on January 2nd, they take their car in for oil change, so they'll get the mileage. Then they'll also take it in on December 31st, and they'll get an oil change for the calendar year just to really get an idea or of how many miles that they've traveled that year on the car. Is Have you heard that before? Uh, yes, I have, and, and that's a good um way in which you can have a beginning and ending mileage in regard to your vehicle. If you drive multiple vehicles, of course, you need to have a better system. And, and people have to understand that when, you get, when you're audited by the Internal Revenue Service, it's all about relationships and how the, the person that you're dealing with with the Internal Revenue Service, how you treat that individual. For instance, I was in an audit with the Internal Revenue Service. I had a client that um, they went from point A to point B every day for uh, – 270 days a year, and they allowed me to calculate those mileage from point A to point B for the entire year without having to have any supporting other supporting documentation. And in reality, we actually ended up with more deductions going that way than we actually claimed on the tax return. Uh, if you uh, treat the internal revenue service agent with respect, they will provide you with respect. But you give them a hard time, they can give you a hard time too. So be aware it's all about the relationship and understanding who you're dealing with. And you treat them with respect, they will treat you with respect, and they will uh, give you deductions that otherwise they may not have given to you if you were giving them a hard time. All right. Um, so in other words, uh, you always attract more bees with honey than you do with vinegar, huh? Yes. <laughs> That's a saying I like to like to share. All right, so you talked about mileage. You talked about uh, restaurants, food. What else? What else is popular in terms of potential deductions? Okay, um, there's another potential deduction. There's a difference between if you are a sole proprietor and if you're a corporation as it become as it relates to rent. Now, the Internal Revenue Service says that if you are a sole proprietor and you want to take a deduction for rent. Uh, and you're operating out of your home, then you have to have a dedicated space for that, as well as you need to have the area, you know, documented. If it was 10 feet by 10 feet and it's documented, and then the total square my, uh, uh, square feet of the house, and you can get a deduction. Now, say, for instance, your business, you um, had a profit before that deduction of, say, $2,000. And once you did that deduction, you had an expense of $2,500. So typically, that would say that you'd have a loss of $500 in your business. What the Internal Revenue Service does is say that, that you cannot use that deduction if it makes you go into a negative. So consequently, the Internal Revenue Service will only give you a deduction of $2,000 as opposed to $2,500. That way, you cannot go below zero on a sole proprietor. Now, if you are a corporation or S corporation, the Internal Revenue Service will allow you to charge your corporation rent without having to have those different requirements, as long as the rent is reasonable. Which means that, say, for instance, um, you're paying uh, a mortgage of two thousand dollars, and you have a space in your house that you're using for your business, and you want to charge three hundred fifty dollars. Well, you're allowed to do that, so you can 
charge your corporation $350 a month for rent and deduct it on your corporate tax return, and you do not have to pay taxes on it as an individual. So that's something that Internal Revenue Service gives individuals who are incorporated. So that's a, a, something that a lot of accountants don't, under, don't know about, that particular deduction. Oh, okay. So this is with regards to your home office then, and it's a difference whether or not you have, whether you're incorporated or not. Yes, it's a big difference. Okay, and how you and how you have the ability to charge rent? Yeah. Okay, perfect. What's another popular uh, potential deduction? Another deduction is business development. A lot of times, businesses don't deduct business development, uh, which is an excellent expense. For instance, if you're going through um, education or going to a lot of conferences, the things that's going to help you in your business. Those are the things that a lot of times businesses forget about. Then. If you are a corporation, you can start deducting uh, business expenses as soon as you incorporate, whereas that if you are a sole proprietor, then you can't deduct, you can't deduct all your expenses thoroughly until you start making some type of income, at least $1. That's another big difference. For instance, if you lost $10,000 and had no income on your corporation, then you are allowed to deduct those $10,000. But if you had $10,000 worth of deduction and start up for your sole proprietor, then you weren't able to deduct all those $10,000. They want you to spread it over a period of time. So it's a big difference if you're incorporated and if you are a sole proprietor. And be aware that different states, okay, a lot of different states allow you to have different types of deductions, and the cost is higher. For instance, in California, even if you have a loss on your business, they're going to charge you $800 in order to be incorporated in the state of California, where that if you incorporate in the state of Illinois, then there's no, um, there is no um, $800 fee. They charge you more to incorporate. So you need to be aware of all the different laws in each state in regards to, you know, how much tax you're going to pay. All right, so it's geographically specific. We got to go to break, but you touched on something under the business development uh, with regards to startup costs. So I want to pick up with that. We'll return back from break. Is that okay? Yes. All right, perfect. All right, we'll be back with some more good stuff with tax and legal strategies for real estate investors. Uh, Stay tuned, and uh, we'll see you after the break. Follow us on Twitter at VoiceAmericaTRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's VoiceAmericaTRN. Want to learn real estate investing and don't know where to start? Aspiring to grow your small business? The Wetzel Group Inc. is a company designed to support entrepreneurs through convenient online real estate investing education. Beginners to experts can learn from our comprehensive strategies. Go to thewetzelgroup.com and enter the promo code TWG and you'll receive a complimentary online real estate workshop. Call 312-473-4300 now and join a nationwide community of real estate investors. Again, 312-473-4300 and begin your success today. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit facebook.com forward slash voice America. This is Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. To reach Lori with questions or comments, please send an email to lori at meetlauriwetzel.com. Again, that's Lori 
at meetlauriewetzel.com. Now, back to Keeping It Real. Welcome back. Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel with my guest, Perrin Wetzel, and we're discussing tax and legal strategies for real estate investors. So, Perrin, before the break, we were talking about not only business development costs, but also tracking your startup costs. Maybe people who are now listening to this show, they're saying, you know what? I've always wanted to start a small business. I've always wanted to be an entrepreneur. And I'm also interested in real estate investing. So tell me about startup cost with a business. Okay, with startup cost for a sole proprietor, you can deduct the first $5,000 worth of expenses without having any income. And then... Any cost above that, you have to amortize over a certain period of time based upon the regulations with the Internal Revenue Service at that particular point in time. So $5,000 immediately, and then the balance can be deducted over a period of time if you do not have any income. If you have income, then you can deduct those expenses immediately from your tax return if you are a sole proprietor. Now, some of the deductions that a lot of times individuals um, miss out on are, like, for instance, electronics. Now you can have your iPad, your phone, your Internet, any of those expenses, you can deduct 100% from your tax return as a sole proprietor. And a few years ago, the Internal Revenue Service said that you can deduct your cell phone 100% as long as you have a personal phone line. And that personal phone line could be a Google number. It doesn't have to be a quote-unquote landline where it's attached to the land. It can be any number that you use for your personal uh, call that's at the side for your cell phone. You can deduct 100% of your cell phone in that regard. Then, in regards to travel, um, there's certain things that you need to be aware of when you're traveling in order to deduct 100% of your cost. For instance, we have what we call a national leadership retreat every year in a different place that's all-inclusive, which means that we don't pay for food or room separate. It's all included in one bill. If you have all-inclusive in your uh, itinerary, then you can deduct 100% of those costs because the food is not broken out. And as long as you have a, a meeting for at least four hours and one minute, you're able to deduct everything in relationship to traveling in regards to your business. So we have a number of individuals, what they do is they have real estate in their, they have real estate in places they like to travel. That way, when they go and travel, they can deduct it off of the tax return because of the fact that they're going and visiting their real estate properties and doing some type of work or something in relationship to their property. As long as you're doing something as it relates to your property, you can deduct that trip off. So if you like to go to your in-law's house and they live in a different city than you do, then make sure you buy a rental property in that city. You can go visit your in-law and write it off on your taxes as long as you meet all the requirements. Oh, so so hold on a minute. So if grandma says, for example, lives in, I don't know, Miami or or grandma lives in New York and you are going to visit grandma and you're taking the kids with you. And so what you're saying is, is that take uh, consider acquiring property in the same location that you have family members so that when you go to visit, you're saying that you have the ability to also uh, visit your property while you're there, work on that property, do some maintenance or upkeep, maybe have a uh, corporate meeting 
there on that property, and you can use that as a tax write-off. Is that what you're saying? Yes, that's what, exactly what I'm saying. Wow. Mm. Man, too bad I don't have any family members in Hawaii. I, I got to work on that. Um, but I do have some family members in some pretty interesting places, so that's that's pretty neat to be able to do that. Um, any other uh, potential deductions that you'd like to cover? I would like to cover in regard to anyone who has children under the age of 18 and you have a sole proprietor and you have an S-corporation, you can deduct the amount that you pay for your kids off your tax return. Whoa, 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 hold on a minute. You, so are you saying paying your kids too? So you have the ability as a business owner and an entrepreneur? Let's talk about this. So you can you can pay your kids as well through your, your business corporation? Yeah, you can pay your kids up to $6,350 in 2016 without having to pay um, any taxes, either Social Security or Medicare, or pay any income taxes, and you can deduct it from your tax return as long as the individuals are under 18. And therefore, that way you can make sure that your kids can pay for their own movies and buy their own clothes and give you an opportunity to deduct it on your tax return. And as a system that you use, um, I, I would have to explain it in more detail about how, how it works because you have to actually set up different things as far as, um, as, far as checking accounts, paying the kids, and making sure you have everything situated in order for you to do that. So be aware that it's not something that you want to, you know, you want to do on your own. You want to talk to a professional and making sure that it's set up properly so that you can deduct it. So if you have two kids, that's a deduction of over $12,000 for those two kids that you have in order to um, reduce your tax liability. So I know that you are an experienced accountant. You've been doing this for 30-plus years. Tell me, how did you learn so much about real estate investing and the ability to be able to maximize those tax deductions? Uh, is this through education? Yes, we. Um, I'm involved with an uh, organization called Renatus LLC, and Renatus LLC has a education product that helps individuals become real estate investors. And we have classes called Tax and Legal Strategies, and those classes are taught by an attorney and CPA named Mark Kohler. And these are some of the things that we learned from him that I learned because you can always learn from individuals, no matter how long you've been doing taxes, in order to make sure you maximize the deductions. For your, for your clients, and that's what we do. We want to make sure that we maximize the deduction for our clients and pay the less taxes as long as it's legal and ethical. Got it. So, in other words, when you are starting your own business, and particularly in the field of real estate investing, the key is to become educated. Would you agree? Yes. Definitely want to make sure you're educated. And one of the reasons why a lot of investors during the, uh, the recession because they weren't educated. And if you're not educated, you're going to lose money in real estate. Whereas that people that I knew that were ed- educated, they did not lose a dime during the recession, and they were able to make more money because of the fact that real estate was on sale during the recession. And because it was on sale, they were able to acquire a lot of different properties for that. Well, you know what? We're wrapping up, wrapping it up. And so uh, while I have you on the phone, we do have an uh, email from one of my listeners, Paul B. from Minnesota. So uh, since you are on with us, let me read this question to you. He says, 
I am a real estate investor and I have four properties in my name. Two are single family homes and two are multi-units. So tell me what's wrong with that. Can you, since we're going to cut to the end on the Q&A, can you help Paul B. out from Minnesota? Yes. The, the most important thing is that he is liable for anything that happens for those properties because they're in his personal name. For instance, if somebody were to get hurt in one of his properties and his insurer did not cover the full cost of that, then they can come out to all his properties and therefore um, he can lose them all because he gets sued and there's a lawsuit with more than insurance covered, they can come out to all his properties. Or that if each property was either in a, um, in a LLC, then the person could only come after the property in which the, the, uh, it was in the LLC, thereby reducing his risk. It's all about risk. You never want to have properties in your name because you have properties in your name and something happens and the insurance doesn't call, cover the full cost. You're liable for everything. And typically that's what happens. People understand that things do happen and they end up having to pay and they can lose all their property because they didn't have the property insurance and they didn't have the property entity where their, their real estate was covered in that entity so they could somebody could come in and get all their properties. Okay, Pan, we've got to close. Thank you once again for being on the show uh, discussing tax and legal strategies for real estate investors, Pierre and Wetzel. Uh, and uh, we're going to close with one of my favorite quotes. But before I do that, I want to let you know we're going to have an encore presentation of our show on the 16th with Sharon Lecter. So be sure to tune into that. And I'm going to close with one of my favorite quotes. It's by Grant Cardone. And he says this. Those who say your dreams are ridiculous have given up on theirs, end quote. Thank you once again for listening to Keeping It Real with Lori Wetzel. It's my honor and pleasure to be with you today. Take care, and we'll talk to you next week. Thank you so much for tuning into Keeping It Real. Be sure to join Lori Wetzel again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 12 noon Central, and 1 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Business Channel. We know you'll learn something new every week, so we'll meet here again soon. Until then, focus on keeping it real and live a life of success. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Business Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericabusiness.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.